In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. In our chapter today, we learn how Jesus comes to us through his word and how we're a part of his spiritual house, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We'll also learn how to honor God and human authorities and to follow the example of Christ in suffering. So whether you're a new believer or a mature Christian, 1 Peter chapter 2 is going to challenge you to live out your identity and purpose in Jesus. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, September 7th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And remember, Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. But this morning, as we gather around the second book, I'm sorry, the second chapter of the first book of this series, we're going to be covering First and Second Peter, uh, my guest is the Reverend Dr. Burnell Eckert. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Kewanee, Illinois, and editor of Gottesdienst. Good morning, Pastor, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. It's good to be back with you. We had a good time last time, I recall. Yes, and it's been quite a while, but I'm happy to have you back on the show, especially for First Peter. Um, before we get started, though, how are things going for you? How are things going for Godestines? Tell the folks about that. Well, they're going pretty well for me, except that, <laughs> matter of fact, I have a pinched nerve right now that I'm dealing with, so I have to oh, no. take care of that. I'm kind of hobbling around these days, as my people know, but we'll get it taken care of. Um, Gottesdienst is doing well. We had a good showing at the convention, I would like to say, and I'm, I was very pleased about that. And, you know, we keep keep moving onward and upward, and you know, we got a lot, of, a lot of good people associated with us, so I'm really thrilled about that. That's great. If, if other people wanted to learn a little bit more about what that is and what you guys do, where could they go? Well, it's the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy, and an easy enough thing to do is just to go to our website, which is Gottesdienst, G-O-T-T-E-S-D-I-E-N-S-T. That's the German word for worship, and it's the only German word we have there. Gottesdienst.org, and everything is there, and in fact, you can uh, subscribe to uh, the blog posts and so that you get a notification of a blog post every time one's put up. They're put up about you know, three, four times a week. And then you get a notification in your email, and we get a lot of traffic that way, and we have some podcasts every week, sometimes two a week, that are also very entertaining. Uh, the podcast uh, is, is handled by Reverend Jason Broughton, and he interviews people, and it's always a, a lively discussion, sort of like what you're doing here, only with various topics. In fact, there's something that goes on every week. Uh, they, they have a discussion, he and... Uh, Pastor Dave Peterson talk about the upcoming gospel on Sunday. So that's a helpful thing for pastors preparing yeah. their sermons. So yeah, we're very, we're very uh, active and uh, we keep uh, taking in new, new uh, listeners and readers and we're really pleased about that. So take a, check it out, take a look at it. Well, that's wonderful, and uh, yeah, I hope people do. Well, before we get into our text assigned to us today, well, would you please start our time together in prayer? I'd be grateful, brother. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds that we may hear, read, learn, mark, 
and inwardly digest the riches, the rich treasures of thy holy word, and through those treasures gain a greater knowledge and comfort in our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. All right, well, our text for today, we've just really just gotten started with 1 Peter, uh, and today we are going to keep on going. Today's Thursday. We just got started with it yesterday. Earlier I said it was Monday. I'm sorry, folks, getting uh, <laughs> kind of crazy here in the week, uh, but today is Thursday. We started it yesterday, but our text for today continues the thought, and that's that's one of the things we're going to run into in these letters is that it's very difficult to sort of divide them up in chunks. And the editors have done a pretty decent job of chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, and that's pretty much how we're going to follow it best we can. But really, we're in the middle of a thought, aren't we, uh, Pastor, with the, the beginning of chapter two? We certainly are, because, uh, you know, the word therefore or wherefore shows right up, and that means, <laughs> right. you know, on account of what's gone on before. So, yeah, we need to kind of get a running start into this chapter. Yeah, so why don't we, um, why don't you just catch folks up though, right? So before we get into our first verse, which is, so, or therefore, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, um, why the therefore, right? We're called to be holy, he says. Bring, bring us up to where we're at. Yeah, well, he has, I mean, the first chapter is just packed with so much, uh, so much about the fulfillment of the scriptures. In fact, he talks about the prophets who have inquired into it, and now we know, now we have the, the revelation. And for this reason, we are called upon to be sober, uh, to, be, um, to hope unto the end for the grace that is brought to us by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, now we have what, what the prophets had long been waiting for. And because of that, we have a certain mode of behavior that we need to follow because we are now uh, obeyed the truth through the Spirit. And so for this reason, having been born again by incorruptible seed, you know, that's a reference to baptism. Because of this, we have a, a, uh, a laid out a pattern for our life to follow, which is, as you said, the pattern that was shown to us by Jesus himself. So, uh, since we've been redeemed with his precious blood and he was uh, the one who came to, to rescue us from ourselves, therefore it is time for us to lay aside all malice and so forth as we get into the second chapter. And so just that's, a kind of a, that's a kind of it, a quick Yeah, it kind of summary. catches us up a little bit. Right, and just as before in the previous, I guess, dialogue from Peter here, uh, he really makes a ton of connections to salvation history and to the scriptures. And if you read too fast, you can pretty much just about miss them. Uh, but we'll try to read uh, nice and steady. We're going to start with chapter 2, verse 1 from the English Standard Version. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, and then it's going to continue. We're at the end of verse 8. So I think there's a ton here in these verses. Um, Not only do we have instructions, but we have some interesting, I guess, descriptions of what it means to be a believer, right? About a spiritual house, holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. And then, of course, it talks about Jesus, the cornerstone. So uh, help us understand that that what, what Peter's trying to communicate here, and he's doing so with such imagery. Yeah, the imagery is really fascinating. He starts out with the, uh, with the things we are to lay aside, and most especially of those things. I mean, he makes a, a short list of malice, deceit or guile, and hypocrisy, envy, and then evil speakings. And then he goes on. This you kind of miss in the English, I think. He goes on to say, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Well, the evil speakings are actually evil words. So replace that then with the sincere or the good or the, the uh, pure word of the Lord. So that's what he's getting at, to, to replace the elements of this world with that which we've been given. And again, of course, it says newborn babes. Uh, Brefe, those are infants, and of course you can't help but think of baptism there. We've been born again, and we are, since we have been born again, we ourselves are like babes. I think of, uh, you know, St. Uh, John in his epistles picks this up as well, calling the entire church little children. And it reminds me of when Jesus took a little child and put him in the midst and said, unless you become like this, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So the apostles pick up on this, of course, and they understand the importance of being like little children and setting aside all the, uh, the uh, grown-up, so to speak, sort of things that the world puts before us and the, the wisdom of the world, as Paul also calls it. Lay that all aside and be like newborn babes, and simply desire the milk of the word. And that, of course, gives that image of a mother providing milk for her infant. And I often think it's a helpful thing to think of the the church as our mother. And the the milk of the church, uh, her, her breasts give forth the milk of the word every Sunday as we hear the readings and the sermon. We hear the words coming forth from within her. And we do that because we were born again there at the church at the font and it and it means that a baptized child needs to have that nourishment uh, routinely because as just as children as infants need the, the milk of their mothers so we need the milk of our mother the christian church the the bride of christ so it's well, a wonderful wonderful image yeah. in there and I have a question about that. So is this pure spiritual milk or unadulterated spiritual milk? Um, you know, a dolos is pure there. So what would be an example of dolos, malice and deceit? Like, so, so this is the pure. What would be an example of the unpure? Like, what, what is it that he's warning them about? 
Is it just their own personal malice and deceit? Or is there something greater out there, a false or a, an adulterated spiritual milk that they're, they could be tasting, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, I think that's a technical term. It's actually a single word, evil speaking, katalalia. That's, uh, you know, that's a reference to authoritative evil speaking. So I take that to be a reference to false teaching. The things sure. which Jesus warned against when he said, beware of false prophets. I think it's, that's especially in view uh, in, in Peter's mind here. To, we need to turn aside from all those uh, the evil influences of the words of the false prophets, the words of the world, so to speak, and, and turn instead to the, the pure work, word, the pure milk of the word. It's a very sharp contrast that we see there. And then, well, of I course, think that, I, was gonna say, I just think that makes a big distinction in the way you look at it, because the first verse says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And I, not that the Lord wants us to do those things, of course, but I think on the first reading, you think, OK, I need to quit being malicious and being deceitful and I need to quit being hip, uh, hypocrite and I need to quit envying and being slanderous. But when he says long for new, uh, like newborn infants for the pure spiritual milk, he's saying not so much quit doing those things, but quit feeding on those things. Quit seeking after the people who are hypocrites and malicious and envious and slanderous. Is that right? I believe so, yes. I think that the things, it's a question of desire. You know, where your, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. So the, the evil speaking, I mean, the word that you have in the, in the ESV is what, slander? And I don't, right, yeah. I don't know if that totally gets, gets to the picture here because evil speaking is more, I mean, obviously we shouldn't slander, no question about that, but the evil speaking here, again, I think is, is the evil speaking which the world would deceive, deceive us with and bring, bring us down to the elemental principles of the world and ultimately to hell. So that is sharply contrasted with the pure milk of the word. And I think the word pure or sincere is also important here because we can't, uh, we can't have a little bit of leaven, so to speak. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We need, we need the pure gospel proclaimed, the pure word of God proclaimed in our church every time we come because that's, that's what a babe needs. It needs, it needs milk directly from the mother. So yeah, I think that's a very, uh, very helpful contrast, and the and the desire which a child has is of course in a way a pure desire too, because that baby only wants his mother's milk, and so that's the image that's being placed before us that that as as newborn babes, we ought to desire the new sincere world milk of the word. This is the. Uh, it's the intro it for uh, what Quasimodo Genity Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, as newborn babes. So it's connected there as well in the church year to Easter, which I think is helpful as well. Well, he says long for that pure spiritual milk. So what is that milk? Is, is, it, is it simple enough just to say it's Christ? Because verse 4, then it says, as you come to him. And verse 3, it says, if you've indeed tasted that the Lord is good. Obviously, Absolutely. this is very uh, symbolic, but we're talking about Christ or alternatively the pure teaching of Christ or the gospel of Christ. Yeah, that, well, in fact, I think, well, I don't have the uh, ESV in front of me, but didn't yours translation simply say sincere milk? 
and it missed. See, some versions have of the word there. Right. And that's the, um, uh, the majority reading. The, uh, the uh, King James Version has of the word. And I think whether that's the original or not, I think it's a helpful commentary. Sure. Yeah, it, no, this one ends with just pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, context alone would tell you that that's what that is. But I think the uh, alternative reading sort of nails it down. The sincere milk of the word of God, the, the, pure, the pure milk of his teaching, his authoritative, the words that Christ gave his apostles to, to preach, to write, to, to distribute to the church for all time. That's, of course, the words of sacred scripture. So those are so the then- things we, we need. Well, and then he switches metaphors, right? So he goes away from tasting the pure teachings of the Lord or tasting the Lord, the pure spiritual milk of the word. But now in verse 4, it shifts. It says, as you've come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Right. So this is describing Jesus as that rejected stone. But then it gives the, the church, the infants, a new... I guess a, a purpose, right? You yourselves are like living stones and you're being built up into, and we have three things here, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then he gives some quotations from scripture here. So it, it's not enough that you know that Christ is the, the cornerstone, but rather you are also a stone being built up. What, what does Peter mean by these things? Well, in the first place, I, I can't help but think of something else when we get into uh, verse 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, and I think that there is a little hint of something else in addition to baptism. Um, I'm thinking of the words of the psalmist, of taste and see that the Lord is good, and uh, the, the, the faithful shall be... Uh, filled uh, with the goodness of God, inebriated, I think is one of the uh, translations of, was it Psalm 35 or something? To be, to be receiving um, something by taste, to me, has overtones of the Blessed Sacrament as well. And I think that that's a helpful thing to know here too, that, that when we receive Christ in the words that we hear, we also receive him in, in his body, in his blood, and that unites us with him. And so it's a perfect segue into the next, the next image of being living stones, because as we will see, he himself is the chief corner stone, a stone of stumbling. And so he's saying that when we receive him, when we taste him, when we... Um, become uh, filled with him, we become extensions, and that's kind of, a, kind of a crude way to put it, but we become united with him so much that we ourselves are now stones. We are totally, this is what it means to be in Christ, to be united with him so that as he is the, the stone, we are the stones in him. This is actually a fascinating thing to think about in terms of the fact that this is written by Peter. And we, I can't help but think of the, 
the, the uh, exchange between Jesus and Peter when, when he was given the name Peter. No, his name was Simon. And, uh, you know, there's that famous passage where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and you shall be Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And of course, there's a long-standing controversy between our church and the Church of Rome about whether that, that rock is Christ, the confession of Christ, or whether it's Peter, whose name means rock. Well, I frankly think it's both. It's the confessing Peter, and I think that... Uh, right, I agree. Um, I think that... that contextually has a, carries a lot of weight because when Peter confesses Christ, he himself becomes Peter. And so when we confess Christ, when we receive Christ, we also, like Peter, become living stones. And we become, in our unity with Christ, um, we become filled with God. God became man that man might become divine. Uh, this is a really powerful uh, way of putting it, I think. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, being living stones is the, the status of Christians in relation to Christ. So if he's the cornerstone, believers are the building blocks on that spiritual household of God. And they, and they do that by, of course, resisting and re, re, you know, refusing to return to the malice and deceit and hypocrisy of the world that's feeding them something else. But this is essentially laying out this relationship where just as Christ was rejected, you are going to be rejected, but keep coming to where the true word is because, and then as we're going to see coming up next, um, you know, even though you have this resistance with the world's authorities, there's a certain submission that you must must uh, continue to show to authorities. But we're not quite there yet, but that's what we're going to start to get into when we come back from the break. Go ahead, brother. Well, we actually are, too, in verse 5, a little bit getting into that, because he says, you're a holy priesthood. Since oh, sure, Christ sure. was our priest and gave himself for us, we are in his priesthood. Uh, we ought to expect that we, too, will be offering up spiritual sacrifices. We will be called upon to, to suffer for his name's sake. Well, and then, right, and that makes a lot of sense because then what happens next is, um, well, actually, let's go to verse 7. We've already covered this, but so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, it uses another quote here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone from Psalm 118 mm -hmm. and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So I think before we get into chosen race, royal priesthood, it'd be a good idea to talk about being destined to disobey the word. How, how, do, you, how do you explain that to people who say, well, does God predestine me to do bad things? Yeah, the way I, the way I read that, I mean, it's, a, <laughs> it's another bone of contention. Um, they, were, they were appointed to... Um, to be um, to stumble because they were disobedient. That's the way I read that. They were they were appointed to stumble because when they disobeyed, that was uh, that was the foregone conclusion that they would also trip over it, so to speak. 
So At least that's the, the idea way I is, take it. yeah. So if you see someone uh, running down a hall and the hall's just been mopped, then you could reasonably say, uh, after they stumble, you could say, well, they were bound to do it or they were destined to do it because right, exactly. of the behavior that they had. Okay, yeah. I think that's a good one. Well, it spills right into verse 9, which I'm going to read for the first time now, and it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And that's right where I'm going to stop. Um, before we continue exactly what that means, what, as he's making this transition, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Before we even read any more, the people who were listening are going to hear terms that would have been used with the Jews, not with this new sect of Christians. It, obviously, Peter's trying to make a connection that God's activity continues in Christ, that this isn't a new thing. What do you think, bro? Oh, well, I think that's true, yes. Um, it's, it's, it's another way of saying that we are... In, your, in our unity with Christ, we are the priesthood. We are holy. We are a peculiar people. We are royal. Christ is king. We in him become united with his kingship. So it's very, these are very strong terms that indicate in many different ways our absolute unity with him. And I think, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but it's helpful to, to note that these are all uh, collective terms. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's always singular, a peculiar people, because, because Christ is one. The church is one in him. Uh, so sometimes people throw around the idea of the priesthood of all believers. And I think that's a little bit of an unfortunate way of putting it, because that, that puts it into the plural. I mean, I'm a stickler for, the, for the, this kind of important detail. It's always in the singular, and that's because Christ is one, and we are one in him. Pretty powerful stuff. Well, the royal priesthood, um, isn't that a collective singular, right? So yeah. The priesthood is multiple people. Nation is multiple people. Race, multiple people. Um, oh, yes, it's many people, but it's always in the singular. A holy nation, a a priesthood, a royal priesthood. It's always collective. Hmm, it's always it's always the uh, the unit, which I think is Fast. a helpful thing to note. Yeah, I'm just sort of mulling that over my head because I don't know that I've noticed that before. So as I look over uh, verse 9, I see that now. Uh, interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we all think about that as we take a break. And when we come back, we'll pick up right here where we left off, Pastor Urquhart and I. Don't go anywhere, though. We will return very shortly. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Dr. Burnell Eckhart, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Kewanee, Illinois, and editor of Godestines. Friends, it's always great to be in God's Word. I'm also especially grateful that you've joined us today as we've gotten into the second chapter of the book of First Peter. Uh, but, you know, I also love hearing from you. You know, you get to listen to me. I want to hear from you. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. You can reach me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, too. Just drop a note. Say hi. And when you do, let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show, right? Is it a podcast? Is it over the air? Do you use the KFUO radio app? I just want to know. I think it's kind of interesting. Now, Pastor Eckhart, before the break, we were just kind of touching and dancing around this concept of chosen race, royal priesthood. I'm going to read, actually, I'm going to read all the way up to verse, uh, through verse 12. Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, so... Again, another transition here. He's going from saying, listen, you once, because you were outside the people of Israel, um, had no part, right? You, you had not received mercy, but now you have. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. But then, I guess, if they get to be a chosen race, they also have to be sojourners and exiles, just like the people of Israel were. Uh, but he's talking about more about abstaining from sins or so take us what what's the what's the real meaning behind all this well i think it continues the same idea um the the encouragement the overall encouragement of of the apostle here is to call them out from the world sort of like abraham was called out and had to form a separate nation all by him all by itself um in fact it goes back to uh the the translation back in, uh, where was that? A chosen nation. Uh, you know, the original is the elect, the elect nation. You were elected to do this. I kind of like that strong word that we, we were called out from the world. We were set, up, set apart as the people of God. And of course, that's the, the operative idea behind the nation of Israel, as you said. Um, but it was difficult for them, to say the least. They, they fell, they stumbled, they turned away. Um, well, now is the, the time of fulfillment. We are the Israel of God. We are the chosen generation of God. In fact, this, these terms in, in verse 9 actually are, they come from Moses. They come from Deuteronomy, who said to the people at that time, you are a royal priesthood or something like that, as I recall. Um, well, now Peter's saying, that's you, that is the church, that is the fulfillment of Israel. You are the new Israel, as the book of Revelation would put it, coming down out of heaven from God. 
um, that's that's the that's the continuation of the thought that he had raised in the first chapter of the fulfillment of the revelation of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Since that is the case, the church, the people of God who've been baptized into Christ, we are the true Israel, the chosen generation of God, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, uh, the nation of people, a peculiar people, people set apart from the world. Israel, this is all uh, Israel-type language that we should show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that, I believe, is a uh, taking up uh, from Psalm 19. I have a note here in my margin that that sounds like uh, Psalm 19, verse 14, that I may show forth all thy praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. And if you look in the, the Greek translation of the psalm, it's even clearer that what Peter is doing here is sort of breathing the words of the psalmist into his own words, you might say. So he's got a very clear idea of the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Of course, that comes from Hosea. Uh, that, that vision, that, that blick, that understanding that all is fulfilled in Christ then bleeds into our understanding of ourselves as the people of Christ, as the true Israel, the true Israelites who have been called to be in him apart from the world. I mean, there's just so much here, it's hard to get to it all, but, you know, that's, right. that's what's swimming around there, I think. Uh, in, this, in these days, you know, we had Peter and others involved in the controversy around the role of Jews and their rituals and their traditions and becoming uh, Christian. Um, today, we have sort of the opposite. We have this idea of Zionism where there are, I think, otherwise well-meaning Christians that give deference to those who are Jewish, even though they continue to reject Christ, but they say that they're uh, in by means of the first covenant or some sort of you know crass understanding. Does this speak to that at all? I mean, I, maybe it doesn't speak much to the condition of the, the first chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession, but certainly it's saying something about how, you know, Israel isn't a nation state <laughs> formed by, formed by uh, you know, like the United Nations or something, but rather this is, this is something that's, that's deeper and greater. Does this speak to that issue at all? Well, I think it does, and especially uh, if you consider the fact that in those controversial days of the early church, we recall that Peter himself had a problem with that. You know, he got into a little tete-a-tete with Paul that Paul talks about in Galatians, that, that Peter was siding with the party of the circumcision. The, there were the Judaizers within the church that were requiring or trying to require circumcision, that Christians had to become uh, had to become grafted into the Israel as Jews, and Peter was kind of uh, in weakness, uh, siding with them, and Paul rebuked him. Well, I think this, this letter makes it abundantly clear that Peter took the rebuke well, and now he understands that that, that nation, that race, that's the house that's been left unto them desolate, as Jesus said when he approached Jerusalem, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. 
the true Israel of God, as Peter says in no in unequivocal terms here, is the church, and that's all there is to it. So yeah, the the modern nation of Israel is just a shell. It's that's all it is. Right. But then we even see here, though, that as you are brought in, that is, those who have their faith, hope, and trust in the Christ and are the true Israel, are the priesthood, um, you, and I guess this would be maybe kind of a striking phrase for the Jews, but especially because the Gentiles are involved, it says, Beloved, I urge you now as sojourners and exiles. So whenever he, uh, he would have said sojourners and exiles, the Jews would have thought about that Obviously, they would have thought about leaving Egypt and the 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, yeah. Uh, but here, he's making that transition that the sojourning, the exiled, the exiling, is that a word? Anyway, that is not going to go away anytime soon. You may not be wandering the desert headed for the promised land, but you are wandering the desert of this world headed for the promised land of heaven, and you're going to have to abstain abstain from the passions of your flesh that which wage war against your soul so but then he says keep your conduct among the gentiles so so who is the audience here oh i think this is this is uh this is fascinating because i think it has clear overtones with israel of old that that's that's precisely that in which they failed they were living in the midst of you know the foreign nations the philistines the the amalekites the uh, Agog, or um, Sihon, um, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all these, all these people they encountered in their journeys, and finally in their in their resting place in in the promised land, they were continually beset with temptations to follow the false gods, the Baal, the Ashtaroth of the false nations, and of course, very often they did fall. And so this, this background is what Peter's, I think, what he has in mind, that it is, it is doubly important for us as the people of God to learn from their, from their errors. These things were written for our learning. Uh, so yeah, that, I think that, that uh, background certainly helps us to understand these verses. It says, keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, a couple things stand out. One, of course, is still the keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Is Peter using that as a general term for unbelievers, or is he meaning this specifically to the Jewish believers for some reason? Well... It goes back, I think, in some ways to verse 10. Uh, you were the people of God, the Laos. That's the chosen people who are called apart from the Gentiles. So I think it's, it's, it's a sort of, that's also kind of a collective idea that the Gentiles are the world outside the chosen people. We ourselves, in another respect, are mostly Gentiles because we were, we were called out from among the Gentiles and baptized and brought in. So uh, that, um, I think that helps to see, helps us to see that, that that's where we live now. In a, in a context, context, in a milieu, in an environment which is filled with unbelief. So Wes, uh, I don't think it's a particular reference to any 
people in 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 uh, particular, but it's a reference to the the world out of which we were called. So it's important that we not fall into those traps and uh, have the good works, I think, of which Jesus speaks, let your light shine before men, which is... Yeah, and that's, and yeah. You, you call it a trap, and so that's what I was going to ask next, because it says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, um, we should have no delusions or expectations that the unbelievers, the Gentile world, so to speak, is going to uh, do us any favors, right? They, they are going to speak against us, and how we respond is important. And, well, sure. and Peter here says, respond honorably. You know, they we want them to see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, that begs the question, what's the day of visitation? The, the day the Lord returns, right? I believe so, yeah. And of course, this is another thing, another way in which we can see the pattern that Jesus himself set. When he was on trial, when he was to be crucified, and they spoke against him as an evildoer, and uh, they saw his good works, his good work of submission, of going forth as a lamb to a slaughter, and honorably going the way of the cross in every respect. So uh, that that sort of provides a segue into the next part about submission, I think. Well, I was going to say, it really does, right? Because, you know, that's been a hot topic over the past three or four years is, you know, what does it look like to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution? Um, let's read just the rest of our chapter, actually, beginning with verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are not free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I was going to read to the end, but I think it's a good idea to chunk it up a little bit. So right there through verse 17 then. We haven't quite gotten to the end. But here we have, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whatever that looks like, it says. Uh, take us through this. You know, Should we just follow after the cross wherever it leads us? Um, how, do we, how do we do this in real life? Well, I think that this, I think that this is Peter's way of bringing us again to the realization that uh, humility, as we saw really clearly in Christ himself, is an attribute of God. We have a, uh, a phony way of looking at God all too often, I think, that he's, you know, when we talk about his greatness and so forth in the way the, uh, let's say, for example, the, the Muslims think of God as great, and because he's great, they sort of parade around uh, calling upon his greatness as, a, as an excuse for them to do all kinds of nefarious things. Uh, actually, the God we know is a God of humility, which we saw in no uncertain terms in the humiliation of our Lord. So his utter submission is the kind of attribute then that behooves us to have, to be to be meek in the face of all oppression against us. And I would also add, of course, that 
I don't think we should take that to mean that we should submit ourselves to the exclusion of doing what God would have us do. I mean, that's, um, it's, it's not like when the government requires us to do what we shouldn't do, that we should obey then, because that's, uh, that's, that's illegitimate, that's illegitimate government. Um, I don't even know if we want to go into that right now, but the overall idea is that we shouldn't chafe under the, under the yoke, chafe at the bit, so to speak, because Jesus didn't. So, I mean, he submitted himself to the governor. He submitted himself to Pilate. Sure. So there's our pattern again. Well, it, it then transitions into a new vocation because it takes that same idea and now says to servants, eight, verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. Now I want to leave the last couple of verses for just a minute, but heading back up, this is going to be a trigger for a lot of people because it essentially tells us that we must be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, and then almost as an example of what that looks like, it says that extends to you, house servants, bond servants. You have to be subject to your masters, not just the good ones, but also the bad ones. And this is a gracious thing. And so then we take that and we transport it back to the other thing too, saying, well, I guess if we have a government that's good or bad, we must submit to it. Or if we have a boss that's good or bad, we must submit to them. Those are gracious things because we're you know, enduring sorrow unjustly. And it might lead someone to say, well, I need to go seek out sorrow to endure unjustly so that God will be, uh, have a gracious disposition towards me. So <laughs> what's, the, what's the proper understanding of, of all this text? I well, mean, I don't think I, it's... We can get misled. I don't think it's necessary to go seek out things like that. That reminds but, me of the... But I the, think people do, but go ahead. <laughs> well, they did back in the fourth century, too, as I recall, in the, the Donatist days. I mean, there were some pretty crazy people who were who were seeking out ways to suffer, thinking that that would gain God's favor. Now, that's, of course, twisting what is being said here. Jesus didn't seek out... Uh, ways to suffer it was presented to him it was he knew it was coming he he was unafraid of it in fact he was unafraid of anything um and so this again is uh, then superimposed on us that we can expect this kind of thing from the world as the people of god that we wouldn't have to seek it out it'll be it believe me it'll be there and when it is, uh, this is this is again the pattern that we see in Christ that He did not resist when someone strikes you on the cheek, cheek turn him the other also. And the uh, the Sermon on the Mount comes to mind here. Um, that there's our pattern as He the the the, uh, the bottom line here for Him and for us, of course, in Him is believing that God is good. And that God is in control and in utter charge of all things. 
that were not left to the whims of the governor anyway. I mean, if you think of what happened to Jesus when he submitted himself to Pilate and for that was crucified, that turned out to be the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Without his crucifixion, we would not be saved. So we see in his cross and in his suffering the ultimate example of how God works out all things, even the things from the evil, from the wicked man. He does his worst, and everything is fit into the, the pattern, the puzzle, the jigsaw of God's good deeds and purposes for us. Well, we need to have that same mindset with respect to how, how our world is, uh, we see our world around us and how we live in it and how it treats us. If God is utterly in control of all things, then we don't have to take things into our own hands ever because it, it stems from a conviction and a belief that all things do in fact work together for good. They must because God is um, omnipotent. That's, that's his omnipotence, that he works out even the meanest, the hor most horrible, wicked things for the good always. But do we not put the Lord to the test if we don't, um, you know, take action to avoid, I guess, problems? You know, so if we, we are in a relationship, whether it's with our government, with our um, boss, with our master, with our spouse coming up, right? So we have these relationships and we're called to submit to one another, which is certainly makes sense in the context of people when they do their vocations. But there are times when they disobey the Lord, they aren't doing their vocation, you know, I, I, do we have a, a duty to just to continue to suffer? I guess what we're saying is, if Christ submitted to Pilate, was, is that a, a, was, was that an admission that Pilate was doing the right thing? No, because not at all. In fact, if you think of his submission, that was not to the exclusion of doing some pretty... Uh, wild things in the temple when he cleaned it out and overturned the money changers tables i'm sure that some of those right. things would have been considered illegal uh he he was he was uh he was not about to be to be cowed by evildoers uh he knew right from wrong of course he is the author of right and wrong so uh it, it is so easy for us given our twisted frames of mind to take these these good words and to twist them in a negative way and to say that right. therefore um, we are uh, we have no choice but to uh, participate in a sort of a sort of a passive way sometimes in the uh, the, the the deeds of the world uh, that's not what Peter's saying here He's talking about endurance, just as Christ endured. He is talking about humility, just as Christ was humble. Um, he's talking about not, in fact, he says here, don't use your, your freedom as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Well, let's, uh, let's read how he ties Christ into it even more in the remaining verses of our chapter. This is going to be verses 22 through 25 of chapter 2. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
when when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he suffered, or when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." And then it goes into, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And that's what we'll cover next time when we get together, because um, the whole thought process continues. It just isn't easy to divide up. But not before we talk about how Peter makes that connection to Christ. And you've been making the connection the whole time. But, but just, I guess, lay it out for us in the way that he does. Now, the things that he's calling you to do uh, really are to do nothing more than imitate your Savior. Yeah, and his description here in the closing words of this chapter is just dripping with biblical images. Um, the the uh, the example that we see in Christ, he bore our sins in his own body. Note, not on the cross, but on the tree. That brings us back to Genesis, and that that the living to righteousness um, is is again, I think, a, 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 perhaps a veiled rec- recollection of the, the goodness that was once there. And then by whose stripes you were healed, that brings in Isaiah, the language of Isaiah, by his stripes we have been healed. The healing that he accomplished for us is a return to the ultimate and pure goodness of Eden. And then comes the other image of sheep going astray, which is, you know, throughout uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and prophets. And then he goes into the shepherd and overseer or bishop of your souls. The Lord is my shepherd. So it's pretty fascinating coming from Peter, of course, <laughs> who is called the, oh, yeah. the, uh, the first popes by some, the, the bishop of Rome. And in fact, I think he was understood as the bishop uh, the f- first among equals of the apostles, but he does not take that, that does not go to his head as it originally did. He knows that he and we all are under the shepherding the, of the good shepherd, uh, Jesus himself. Yeah, it makes me wonder if Peter didn't learn quite a bit of humility being a leader, because that seems to be the case sometimes, you know, uh, certain personalities strive to leadership, but they don't thrive well. And then on the other hand, some people get into leadership and realize, yeah, it's a humbling experience. And so I think that might have been the case for Peter, too. Well, I think well, he's here, got it in mind here. What He's got in mind his own his denials. He has he has returned to the shepherd and bishop right. of his soul by that by that experience. Oh, and that's a, a beautiful connection because you're right. He he is is just like St. Paul, and why wouldn't he? Is drawing from his own experiences as well as, of course, how the Holy Spirit leads him. Well, anything else for the folks before we end today? Well, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty pretty powerful stuff, um, especially as I would I would repeat, coming from Peter. Um, he uh, he has he has shown here that he has learned and that he is now speaking with the authority of Christ, actually the words of Christ. He is now speaking as though he were Christ himself. He wasn't able to do that at first, but now he is. And his words are the words of God. 
Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Bernal Eckhart, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Kewanee, Illinois, and editor of Godestines. Check them out at godestines.org. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. Good to hear you again. Tomorrow, we continue Paul's thought in chapter 3 as he reveals the secrets of a happy and holy marriage, the keys to harmonious and blessed community, and the principles of a faithful and fearless witness. (laughs) That's right. It's in that chapter we're going to discover how God wants us to honor our spouse and love our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we should persecute and, I'm sorry, respond to those who persecute you. Oh, dear. Well, we'll learn how to follow the example of Jesus tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong